veteran is someone who at one point in their life wrote a blank check made payable to the United States of America for an amount up to and including their life. So I was in the Army from 1987 to 1992. I served 24 years. I became a Navy hospital corpsman in 1967. Served active duty in the Army from 1988 to Real stories from those who served in America's military, brought to you by VetFlix, a leader in documenting and sharing the veteran experience. Today's story was part of a veteran workshop celebration hosted at the Courier Museum of Art in Manchester, New Hampshire. Over three months, veterans prepared their stories and then delivered them to a live audience. Ginger Munson served as a helicopter pilot in the Army on active duty from 1988 to 1996. She is also a military spouse. Here, Ginger shares stories from the home front and the realities of being part of a military family. So, um, thank you. And as David mentioned, I feel like I kind of snuck in sideways. I saw an advertisement for a writing workshop for veterans, and indeed I am a veteran. But um, in the last 20 years, I've spent most of my time as a spouse, all of my time as a spouse, and my writings um, <laughs> lean more to that. So um, I have three short uh, vignettes, as I call them. The first one, my first um, story is called The Third Time is Not Always a Charm. The first deployment is glamorous. I am full of patriotism. I am proud to be serving in the military as our nation takes a stand against trouble in the world. I am proud of my boyfriend, who is part of the largest deployment of troops in over 20 years. Though I am stuck stateside, I am happy to support his family. I connect with his sister, schooling her on military life, and trying to put the family at ease despite what they see on CNN. George and I write letters back and forth. We even record tapes. It is awkward at first, but then it is great to hear his voice. My biggest challenge is keeping busy in the alone time. Four months seem to fly by, and then we are reunited amidst a huge, flag-waving, crowd-gone-wild welcome-home ceremony. Fast forward 15 years. We are married now. He has four months of remote training even before he leaves, and this time the deployment will be for a year. I am a temporary single parent to four young children. I manage the house and sizable property on my own. I plow the long driveway in the winter. I ask a neighbor friend to mow the orchard in the summer. I help at the family business putting out fires and trying with little success to fill the empty management shoes he leaves behind. I visit his dying mother. One evening, I stand in front of his armoire. I open the door, breathing in his scent amidst amidst the stack of well-worn T-shirts. I bury my face in one and let the tears flow. How am I going to get through this whole year? Lord, help me get through this whole year. 
Lord, help him get through this whole year. His t-shirt is the closest I will get to him for months. Somehow it gives me comfort. Somehow it gives me strength. The waves of tears pass and I feel better. Our third deployment comes a few years later. We recently moved to a new town. In my naive optimism, I think this third deployment will be easier. Ha! Four new schools, very few friends, and only one parent. I am overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the size of the schools, overwhelmed by the intensity of my children's emotions, overwhelmed by the loneliness of moving to a new town, overwhelmed by the distance between Afghanistan and our home in Bedford, New Hampshire. We have Skype now to keep in touch. We can see and hear each other in real time. Yet I'm not so sure it's a good thing. One of our most memorable chats ended abruptly when I heard the sirens in the background. The big voice, George calls it. Time for him to hustle to the bunker and take cover. I know chaos awaits. We say a quick goodbye. What is the proper goodbye in a situation like that? I wonder after I hang up. It all happens so quickly. It will be at least another 18 hours before I know if he's okay. In good army fashion, I compartmentalize my worry, my fears, my what-ifs. I soldier on as if all is fine and this happens all the time. The months drag on. He struggles to find purpose in a mission that is more about watching the enemy than about engaging or stopping the enemy. I struggle to keep above the mounting responsibility of parenting teens, keeping the house intact, and marching forward as a family. The fourth time around, the nation's patriotism is fading, and so is mine. The military is still at war, but most of the country has gone to the mall. Very few seem to remember, even fewer can relate. The kids are older and more helpful. I work outside the home now. My oldest son is in his first year of college. My oldest daughter, without asking and without complaint, takes on the role of second parent. She goes to appointments, picks up from sports, and often helps to make dinner. Neighbors and church friends make generous offers to help out. In a week or two, they forget. We all have busy lives. It gets harder to ask for help. The weight of multiple deployments has its toll. It takes too much energy to tell the truth, and most folks don't know how to respond anyway. I become a broken record in some ways, repeating the same refrain, We're fine, thanks. Many think it should be easier. It's not your first rodeo, someone said once. Yes, I know, I reply with a slight smile. Yet inside, I die a bit and think, but I don't have much cowboy left. Like the soldier, we have our own form of determination. We are all tired, we are all burnt out, but we do it anyway. The whole family marches on. Eventually the day comes when we head to the airport for another welcome home. This one is small, this one is quiet. We are back together once again. My next piece is called Oh Honey. She is 17 years old, old enough to be aware of her feelings, not yet experienced enough to know what to do with them. 
This is her senior year, and dad will be deployed to the Middle East the entire year. He will miss every holiday, every family dinner, every birthday, every Sunday breakfast, the college visits, the college applications, the college acceptance, and the final college decision. Senior prom, senior project, and even graduation. I'm standing in the kitchen one morning getting ready for work. I hear someone enter the house. Odd to me as it is well past the first bell of school. I look up. I think she's forgotten something, so I expect a mad dash to her bedroom. Instead, I see that look in her eyes. I try not to notice her smeared mascara, a casualty of the tears now escaping down her cheeks. I just couldn't do it, she says. This comes without warning. This comes without reason. It has happened several times since he left. What else is there to do but reach out and pull her into a tight hug? Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. We hug. We cry. Eventually we laugh. I know it will come again. It won't stop until he returns. It's 6 a.m. local time, and I am up early before the sun and the kids. It's 2 p.m. and the other side of the world for him. George is in the middle of a hot Afghanistan day, likely on a flight or deep in organizing the next day's mission. Three days have gone by since I have seen an email. No biggie, I think to myself. I am sure he's okay and just very busy. He's a pilot, so they have constant scheduled missions and always a few unexpected ones. Later in the day, I find myself scanning the proverbial horizon of email, always looking first for the familiar name in the from column. I am like a sea captain's wife, climbing the creaking wooden stairs to the widow's perch atop the house. A biting sea breeze is whipping my hair around as I strain to search the horizon in hopes of spotting his returning ship. Wrapped in a wool coat, I stand strong against the battering wind, my determined stance and search echoing my inner resolve to keep calm, to keep hope, to keep faith, and to keep scanning. Still nothing. I shake off my feelings of doubt and impending doom. I remember our first deployment during Desert Storm. We had no internet, no emails, no Skype, and certainly no phone calls. We relied on the U.S. Postal Service to keep us connected. We gained patience. We strengthened our faith muscles. We learned hope and trust in the quiet days and weeks in between letters. Later that night, after a full day at work, I find myself at the computer again. I scan for the elusive email and my only connection to George. Once again, nothing. More digs go by. I continue searching. I hope. I wait. I pretend all is well. On the surface, we spouses are good at pretending. I am the sea captain's wife again making meals, caring for the children, helping an elderly neighbor. I keep my hands and my mind busy while my heart aches and worries. I find myself imagining the unimaginable. I wonder, if something goes wrong, 
how long will the notification take? Will the chaplain come? Will I be able to stand? Will I fall to my knees? Will I cry or scream? Will I be so numb the tears won't come? I remember signing a government form before he left and giving the name of a good friend to be on hand in the event of emergency or crisis. Do they still have my form? Will they be able to reach my friend? These are the myriad of thoughts as I lay awake in bed. Day nine, and it is finally here. Two or three quick sentences. I had to go up north for a while. Busy week, and I'm exhausted. I exhale, letting go of the tension I didn't realize I'd been holding for so long. I'm exhausted, too. I've been on constant vigil, just like the sea captain's wife. For more veteran stories, visit vetflix.org. Subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes. And thanks.